What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we can we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about some lessons to learn from the prodigal son, or I guess the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, we're glad to have you here. As Dana Harden says, hello, it's on leap day. Today is the le- February 29th. Um, I have podcasted on February 29th, but it was like four years ago. Anyway, uh, it's good to see everybody here as you're rolling in. I'm, I'm just going to let you know how thankful we are and how grateful we are that you're here. I'm doing some things probably that I should have started before. Um, I'm sharing a link to an article uh, we're going to talk about this article just a little bit for today. Um, the reason for the lessons from the prodigal son is because uh, I've been sharing some little six-second uh, videos that are designed to help with engagement and reach and stuff like that. And I didn't realize how well they'd resonate with people, especially one. But the the formula is they need to be pithy. Uh, the thing that I come up with was, and it, I, I ripped the idea off because I saw it on billboards and stuff uh, back home, and basically it was a little uh, uplifting, inspirational, motivational message, one short sentence, and then it was, you know, God, like as if God were, like, I, I, will, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, God. And there was no scripture or anything, but I thought it would be cool to make two scenes uh, for three seconds. You put the short, pithy statement, and then for the next three seconds, it changes, and you have the text, the the, the verse. And these have been doing pretty good. They they really helped with the channel. Our engagement is up. Our, our uh, new viewers uh, uh, is up. So that's pretty cool. But... Uh, I recently shared one that I got the idea for from this article that I wrote called God's Desire for Humanity. And I want to tell you, um, God's desire for humanity is salvation over condemnation. I think when I shared this originally, I even shared it with a little bit of a note or a description about I can tell what kind of person or what kind of relationship a person had with their father based on their perception of God. Good, bad, or ugly, right, wrong, or indifferent. But you can typically tell what kind of relationship somebody had with their father based on how they treat God. Anyway, so we're going to look at this a little bit today. Uh, so I've shared that link in the show, in the comment section. And I do want to share a video in the comments section. Uh, this video, I just, y'all, I just think this is the neatest thing in the world. Um, there is a, an application, a software called Vizsla. And you can, and, and it's free. Um, hold on so just a second. I'm, now, there we go. Uh, and it's free. Uh, well, except it's a lot of trouble to use because every time you use it, it renders your video, and then when you try to download it, it says, well, you need to upgrade to the premium model because we used uh, copyrighted stuff that you wouldn't have the rights for, 
but it gives you an option to re-render the video using open source stuff. So, I mean, it, it takes what could be a five-minute process, turns it into about a 15-minute process, but that's okay. Anyway, um, now that I've stalled enough, I want to share a um, I want to share a video that's four minutes and 51 seconds that is me narrating, but the video was put together by artificial intelligence, and I just thought it was really cool. And uh, it's it's not great. I mean, it's not viral by any means. Just last uh, 24 hours, it's gotten 20 views, which, quite frankly, for our little channel, uh, averaging a view per hour is, I think that's pretty cool. And uh, anyway, if you could share that to your social media platform and help us get some views on it, that would be great. If you could watch it yourself and comment, that would be great. And incidentally, for those of you that are watching, only 60 or, or 60, 60 something percent of you are not subscribed. For those of you that watch YouTube, the, the Christianity Now streams on YouTube, 60 something I looked, almost 70% of you are not subscribed. So subscribe, press the notification bell, help us out, be the algorithm for us. Good morning, Terry Crooks. Hello, Robert Lady. Now, let's talk about the prodigal of the, of the, the prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, this, this parable is the end of a larger lesson. Look, I am going to read the entirety of, of chapter 15. It's 32 verses. And I'm going to read it in its entirety, okay? And then I'm going to I'm going to break it down. I'm going to think and I, this is I've done this on the air before. I'm going to talk about some lessons we can learn from each parable, the overarching lesson, and then it then I'm going to tie it in to the reason for the podcast today, which is the idea that I got from this little six second video and the responses that I got from it. All right. So let me, let me go to your, uh, let me go to the stuff where I can see you. I'm going to uh, put this caption up. Remember if you like what we do and you want to help us out monetarily, $5 a month on Substack, $50 a year or near churches at gmail.com. You can just send us a tip. All right. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman, having lost ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, 
a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And when he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough in despair? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go, my, go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years did I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Folks. That's a good parable. Hello, VJ, watching in India. Uh, Sheila Cole, good morning to you. And remember, folks, be the algorithm force. Like, subscribe, and share. Invite your friends, all that good stuff. So here we have three parables in one chapter. And the the main thrust, now here, here's the deal with parables. A lot of people get caught up in the ancillary details, the extraneous details. Why, when it comes to the parable of the mustard seed, a little mustard seed like you, you would... Uh, or, or a little uh, herb, uh, normally herbs don't grow large plants. You have mint, anise, cumin, uh, other kind of herbs that you would grow in a little planter box on a windowsill. But a mustard seed, which is the tiniest of all plants, you plant in the yard, on the fence row, or something like that, and it grows up large. 
big enough that it can cast shade and the birds of the air can come uh, nest in it. So it's it's three parables for sure, but it's one overarching parable. Like there, because there's three different lessons you can you can garner from all three of these. But the thrust, the thrust of the overarching theme of this chapter of the of the three parables. Don't be the older brother. And the reason I brought it up with the mustard seed is I have heard people talk about with the parable of the mustard seed, what the branches represents, what the shade represents, what the bird represents, and you miss the point of the parables. I can't remember. It may have been Lightfoot who wrote a book about the parables of Jesus. I've got it in my library somewhere. Yeah, Neil, that... I think if you go that route, you've missed the parable. Birds of the air was a rabbinic phrase for the Gentiles. That, I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, Like, it may have been, but I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind at all. Well, I know it's not what Jesus had in mind at all because that's not the subject of the parable. And what happens is you will get lost on these extraneous details that don't matter and you'll miss the thrust of the parable. You'll miss the point, which the point is, if you had faith like a mustard seed, no, that's the kingdom of God. The parable of the mustard seed is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is your, you plant that little bitty seed, and it's the smallest of seed, which the Lord's church came from the smallest of seed. Remember Daniel chapter 2, a little bitty old rock, but it was cut without hands, so it means it came from God. And then it smashed the feet of the Colossus and it grew and grew until it encompassed the whole earth. That's the point of the parable. From something very, very small, something great emerges. And that's the that's the thrust of that parable. So the thrust of these three parables is in Luke chapter 15, don't be the Pharisees. Don't be the older son. The older son is a rep, is representative of the Pharisees in the parables. Um so many times I've, I've witnessed this in my life where uh, people have come forward at, at the invitation song. So in, in Western culture, for those of you that um, are not familiar with this modus operandi, in Western culture, you have two songs, uh, either you have two songs of prayer, two songs, uh, the Lord's Supper, a sermon, an invitation song, and then a closing song, or you, if you're progressive now, you're a little bit liberal, you have a prayer first, two songs, the offering, two songs, the Lord's Supper, a song, the sermon, an invitation song, and a closing song. Um, but that invitation song is the all-important one because that's where when the, when the preacher gets through preaching, he says, and if you'd like to obey the gospel or come forward and ask for the prayers of the church and confess anything, then make your needs known as together we stand and as we sing. And then that's the cue for the people in the audience to walk down the aisle and uh, the preacher will come down, sit with them on the front row because nobody sits on the front row and they, uh, the people will ask for prayer. Well, I have seen many, many times where people get too specific when they're confessing 
and the members of the congregation hold it against them. Oh, they hug their necks and they tell you how proud they are that you've confessed this sin and you've made your life right with God, but you confessed watching pornography. So we're going to treat you like a little bit of a pervert from here on out. You've confessed doing X, Y, Z, and that kind of grosses us out. So we're going to try to, so you're now a second class Christian. You're not, you're not really good enough for us to really utilize and embrace, but you're not bad enough for us to withdraw fellowship from. And I got the Ted, I owe Ted Knight a debt of gratitude because he's the one that brought that vernacular, that nomenclature to my attention. I had not, I had not had a way, I had not had a, 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 a language reference to be able to explain that phenomenon, to describe that phenomenon. So, but that's what it is. Uh, they they come forward, they confess the sin that they confess, kind of vicks everybody out, and then people kind of keep them at arm's distance. So they're not really, they're not really, they're not out of fellowship, but they're not really in full fellowship either. Just kind of second class citizens, as it were. Well, think about if you're a Pharisee, you're a, a separated one, and you see this person who is a rabbi. Jesus is a rabbi. Obviously, he is, and when I say charismatic, Jesus was charismatic probably the way, and, and for those of you that have never heard of this man, probably, probably the way Robert R. Taylor Jr. was charismatic. Robert R. Taylor Jr. is one of my favorite lecturers to listen to. But if you are not, if you have not fallen in love with the Word of God, you will not like listening to Robert R. Taylor Jr. He's very, very, he's very, very dry in his delivery. He's not very animated. He's not very dynamic. But he is charismatic because, and when I say charismatic, he has the ability in his lectures to draw you in, to put you in the midst of the of the action to. Uh, convey and disseminate these deep spiritual truths, and and you come away enriched. But he stands behind the podium, and he and he holds his arms like he holds his hands like this, rest on the podium, no notes, no Bible, no nothing, and he preaches like this for his allotted allotted amount of time. My suggestion, in fact, I don't know why I'm not. I don't know why I'm doing my suggestion. Watch this. Or, nope, hold on. Well, there we go. Let me see if I can... Let me see if I can put a link to one of his sermons. Robert R. Taylor Jr. Boy, howdy. Robert R. Taylor Jr. Six years ago. You know what this 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 is the very this is the very first video that comes up whenever you type in Robert R Taylor Jr in the search bar on YouTube. I haven't I don't know that I've listened to this one. I guarantee it's a winner. But anyway, so now so you have a frame of reference of what I'm talking about. He was charismatic in that he could pull you in and captivate you, but he was not dynamic. 
So I don't think Jesus would have been dynamic, but he would have been very charismatic. And I picture Jesus Christ preaching like Robert R. Taylor Jr. Um, anyway, back, let me finish my point here. So you're the Pharisees, and this man comes up, and he, like I said, he's not dynamic. He doesn't follow your traditions of men the way you think he ought to follow. He's not doing everything you think he should do the way you think he should do it, but yet he's getting more of a crowd and having more of a following and getting more of the respect of the people than you. And he's turning the hearts of people to God where you're finding failure. And so you're looking at the people to whom he ministers with disdain. It's kind of like what Aaron Dotson and I talked about in the week, in the Christianity Now podcast uh, two days ago. Uh, as a gospel preacher, if you really want to make the congregation where you are mad, go minister to the people that are on the fringe, that are on the outcast, and the people that are in the in crowd will hate you for it. And it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. I've seen it happen. It's happened to me. I've seen it happen to other people. It's one of the worst possible things that a congregation could do to a gospel preacher. Well, this is what was happening in Jerusalem to the people that Jesus, whose, whose hearts Jesus was turning back to God. And the Pharisees were saying, but yeah, but they're just a bunch of old sinners. Can you believe that Jesus goes down there to that bar and talks to people in that bar? Can you believe Jesus goes down there to where those folks are eating and drinking? Can you believe Jesus goes to that Alcoholic Anonymous meeting and talks to people and ministers to them? You know they cuss? Did you know they cuss? Did you know... Jesus is around people who say dirty words. Folks, don't be the Pharisees. Don't be the older brother. That's called a failure to forgive. On the other hand, if someone confesses to pedophilia, I have to admit I keep my eyes on that person around children like a hawk. Yeah, so confessing confessing to pedophilia, well, you would have to get involved You'd have to get the law involved, number one. But if they confess to being a pedophile and struggling with acting on it, well, you would remove the temptation from them, and you would not ever let them around children again. So, sorry, my, my tone of voice and my mannerism, it sounded like I'm disagreeing. I'm not. I am 100% in agreement with you, Sheila. People exchange ministry for holiness. Ooh, shut your mouth. <clears throat> People exchange sanctification for sanctimony. That's that's another one too. Boy, that's a People exchange ministry for holiness, t-shirt. People exchange sanctification for sanctimony, t-shirt. Anyway. Good stuff, Neil Abbott. Good stuff, Sheila Cole. And yes, Sheila, I was not. I have a weird issue of conscience is not it quite, not quite it. I, I'm awkward. Like for instance, I'm going to read Sheila's comment again. 
That's called failure to forgive. On the other hand, if someone confesses to pedophilia, I have to admit I'd keep my eyes on that person around children like a hawk. Um, I love comments like that because I can build on them. But I think sometimes I come across as if I'm pushing back or negating what the person said, and I'm not. I'm using it as a launch pad. I'm using it as a jumping-off point into, into more explanation and commentary. So if I ever sound like, if you ever say something and I sound like I just chop it up real bad, I don't mean to. And then somebody, then the weird, the weird moment, the weird phrase, like, like, let's say Neil Abbott says, you know, people exchange ministry for holiness. I might say, Ooh, Neil's got a good comment. I'll deal with that in a minute. To me, that sounds adversarial. And I don't know. I'll read it in a minute. I'll anyway, I need to, all right, I'm done with this, 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 this. The confession section of the podcast. Okay, back to uh, the overarching theme. Don't be the Pharisee. Don't be the older brother. That's the push. All th- this whole par- as 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 Neil Abbott said, Luke fifteen can be considered one parable, but it, it's it's three parables. It's like an anthology with all the same theme. Um. So let's let's break down each each parable. So the parable with the 99 sheep. I think this is a commentary on church discipline, okay? I don't know that that was Jesus's intention because like I said, you'll if you if you get off into these ancillary details, you'll you'll run the risk of missing the main point which is, hey, it's an amazing thing when you restore something that you've lost. And look at how hard you should like when the night when the sheep when the shepherd came back with the sheep, there was rejoicing in heaven because the sheep was restored, the flock was restored. Now there's a hundred. That's a whole flock. But when the one sheep is lost, it's not a whole flock. So the flock is less than. So now there's rejoicing in heaven. There's not disdain in heaven because can you imagine what that sheep got into while it was away from the shepherd, it's probably, it's fleece is probably dirty and full of brambles. If it's been gone too long, it's, you know, let's, it's probably overgrown, you know, It, it probably looks terrible when it comes back, but there's no mention of that whatsoever. They're just, it's a tragedy that, that the sheep got lost and it's a wonderful thing that it come back. Parable of the lost coin. That that necklace with that co- what did I say? Why, why did I say necklace? Hold on. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, you know what? I know why I said necklace. Whenever I was a little bitty boy in Sunday school at the Mount Zion Church of Christ, we had some of that old nineteen seventies. Uh, early 80s Bible class material that all the churches had. And the artwork for this parable of the lost coin was a woman dressed like they're dressed in the 2000 years ago in the Middle East. And she had a necklace with, with coins set in that necklace. And I remember that imagery and that imagery is stuck with me. And that's why I said necklace. That's wild. Anyway, so in my opinion, 
and you know opinions are like, uh, well, opinions, opinions are like people. Opinions are like bodies. Everybody's got one. Some of them stink. Anyhow, um, this is my opinion. It's 10 pieces of silver. It's a hundred sheep. Think about the sheep, 10 tens. That's completeness. 10 silver coins. That's completeness. Whenever you are lost, that flock, that, that set of coins is less than. It's not complete until you're returned. So now the coin is lost. She turns the house upside down. She finds her coin. She did not think less of the coin because it was lost for a time. She received the coin back. Now, go to the parable of the prodigal son. Notice what happened. The prodigal son says, well, I'm going to arise and go to my father, and I'm going to say to him, I've sinned against thee and against heaven. I've sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this parable. He arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, I sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. And the father didn't give him a chance to continue with that particular line of foolishness. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. Notice that the father had compassion on him, fell on the son's neck and kissed him before the prodigal son said a word. And I tell people this all the time. If you are outside of Christ, having once been in Christ, come back. It doesn't matter. God loves you. Come back. You don't have to stand up before the church and confess every sordid detail about your life that fell short of God's design while you were out in the wilderness doing stupid stuff. Just like the prodigal son, the picture is the father is scanning the horizon in hopes of your return. Just. Come back. Your, your change of mind, that's your repentance, and the action commensurate with your repentance is your return. Just come back. You don't have to give a speech. God knows. Don't you think that father that fell upon his son's neck and kissed him before his son was able to say anything. Don't you, th don't, don't you think that man knew what his baby boy was out there getting into? I mean, at 17 and 18 years old, if you turned me loose in a big city with a million dollars, you know what I'd have been doing? I did a lot of it with no money. 
But you know what I've been doing. You know what most youngsters would have been doing. And and talking about keeping the main thing the main thing. You know, people say, well, well, what's the lesson in the father giving the son that do you know why the, the prodigal son's father gave him the money? Because Jesus needed for him to give him the money to illustrate the point of the story. It was a plot device. <laughs> anyway, all right. So that's the deal. Come back. I don't care what you've done. I love you. The fact that you're here tells me that you've had a change of mind. Wanting to come up into my house and be a servant. You're my son. I've seen older brothers not accept a returning sinner's confession because they didn't spill enough beans. Ooh, yes. Why? Why do you know if my wife cheated on me? You know, we're talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, me, Aaron, and Todd. And we somebody made the point about, you know, you don't have to get a divorce if your spouse is unfaithful. You can, you can reconcile. I mean, it's, you know, I think a lot of times when we teach marriage, divorce, and remarriage, it's like, oh, I can't wait. I'm with, if my wife cheats, I'm going to divorce her. No, dummy. If there's that big of a, of a split in our relationship, I want to try my best to reconcile. The problem is it's hard to reconcile from that. God knows it. That's why we have that exception to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But I think uh, to Neil Abbott's comment here, I've seen old, older, quote-unquote, older brothers speaking of the parable, uh, not accept a returning sinner's confession because they didn't spill enough beans, and I hate it. My question is, if if why would you want to know all that? But here's the thing. I don't – I've known people that, that talk about their sinful past to the point where they almost idolize it. You get the idea, well, I, I think you miss being that. Listen, I'm deeply embarrassed by the things that I did when I was apostate. I don't, I, I, I talk about it some because, quite frankly, I'm a content creator. I'm a podcaster. I'm a YouTuber, I guess. And it's, it's, it's good for people to hear. But I don't embellish. I don't act like I miss it, and it's always cautionary, either that or self-deprecating, as it should be. But the reason I don't talk in a lot of detail, and there are things that I've never told and I'll never tell publicly, because I know that learning that stuff will change the way the people in my life looks at me. And that's human nature. That's human nature. If we have a huge rift in our relationship as, as spouses, in other words, if my wife steps out, if we reconcile, I don't even want to know the dude's name. I don't want any sordid details. I don't want to hear anything about that at all. In fact, I'd rather not hear about it. I would rather her just repent and, and, and keep it to herself and remain faithful to me for the rest of our lives. And she keep that between her and God. 
anyway, something to think about. And in fact, well, that's that's all we got on that. I'm not going to go any farther. But that, that that's the point that remains. Why in the world do we want to hear every sordid detail of a person's life when they were outside of Christ? I don't get that from Scripture at all. All right. I mentioned church discipline. Before I do that, let me get Sheila's comment. Some Christians go forward a lot when it's not necessary unless they need prayer. The public confession need only confess if the sin was a public nature. Any other sin can be, be can be between yourself and God. A- absolutely. And yeah. If and here's the well, so th- this is a funny thing. And this is one of those situations, Sheila. I'm not I'm not negating or mitigating what you're saying. I'm I'm using it as a launch pad because I just had a thought. If the sin is public in nature, it almost removes the need to confess. Like when you go forward, when you go before the church, you say, hey, listen, y'all know that I've sinned before God and I've sinned in your sight and I've sinned against the church. And I want to make it right. And I want to, from here going forward, I want to be in the good graces of everybody here and good graces of the Lord. Please forgive me for anything. Uh, please forgive me for my part in the wrongdoing and keep me in your prayers. Well, if your sin is public, then everybody knows what you're confessing. So you don't you don't have to get up there and speak it before a congregation. Everybody knows what it is. The people that knows what it is know what it is, and the people that don't know what it is don't need to know what it is. I think that's the practical way. I, I don't think, because like, you know, if I, let's say that I've, I, I ain't been a sinner in a long time, so I'm out of practice on coming up with stuff to confess. Um. Well, let's say I've been stepping out on my wife. And I want to repent of that. Let's say she caught me. But we're not going to divorce. We're going to get we're going to we're going to reconcile and go forward. But enough people know about it that I need to I need to make it right before the church. I'm not going to get up there and say, "Well, you know, for the last three months, I've been running around on my wife with, you know, female female name, and we've been meeting at the pool hall. We've been meeting at the motel room. We I don't have to go through all that. All I got to do is get up before there before the church and say, "Listen, um, some of you know the details. Some of you don't." I have sinned against my wife. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against the church. And my wife and I, going forward, are going to present, we're going to be united. I want to be united with God. I want to be united with this church. And I have repented of my sin, my wrongdoing. I am taking the steps to make it right. It's not going to happen overnight. But I need your prayers, and I need you by my side. I need you in my corner. I need you to help me bear this burden as a church. Now, though those that know, know. They don't have to hear me say it. Those that don't know, don't need to know. 
I think that's the way to handle it. I've never thought about that. Y'all have just seen me work through this on the podcast. If I'm wrong, let me know in the comment section. I'm open to discussing this, but I think that I'm, I think that's probably the way I'm going to explain this from here on out. I'm so thankful for these podcasts and, and these live streams, and I'm thankful for how y'all uh, comment and and make make comments and ask questions that that get my mind working. Iron sharpens iron. I'm I've, I'm about turned into a girl in my old age. I'm emotional. All right. I think we've, oh, the church discipline. Now, the lost sheep wandered off. They're not necessarily nefarious. That's it. No need to give bullets out, Chris Olive. Absolutely. So the, 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 the sheep wandered off. These would be people that just kind of, well, this meme going around, uh, the more you miss church, the less you'll miss church. Those would be the kind of people that just wandered off. They're not out there living in the world with riotous living, messing around with a bunch of harlots and, and drinking and drugging. They're probably living a, 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 a perfectly morally upstanding life. They're just not in a relationship with God. That would be your sheep that wandered off. Then there's the coin that was lost. Um, we act like the sermon invitation is something the New Testament specifies instead of just a, a being an accommodation. Man, that's a whole different podcast, and, and you're 100% correct. In fact, up here in Canada, they never did have an invitation song. We've started it because I'm here, but I don't think anybody would ever come forward. It's just not its not ingrained in their culture. Or it's not ingrained in their DNA, I should say. Um, so the coin would be an example of a person who is left the fold who fell through the cracks. Now think about this. You've got a Christian. They, they're coming. They're faithfully coming. Maybe they've been faithfully coming for decades. Maybe they're the grown child of a, of a legacy second or third generation member of that congregation. And one week you don't see them. One Sunday morning you don't see them. Well, they're not here Wednesday. They're usually here Wednesday. Nobody checks on them. The next Sunday, next thing you know, they're, they're gone six or eight months. Folks, they just fell through the cracks. And, and, and they would come back if somebody would just go check on them. Somebody, you got to go find them, but, they, but, but they're, they're, not, they're not antagonistic towards God. They don't hate God. They're probably living an upstanding moral life. They're just outside of God, outside of Christ. Just go get them and, and, and bring them back. That, that's, that's like the lost coin. But then you've got the prodigal son. The prodigal son is like someone who begins living in open rebellion and refuses to come back to the point and refuses to repent and change his life to the point you have to practice the capital punishment of the church, which is 
withdrawal of fellowship. Church going and telling some going going to somebody that's missed a couple of Sundays and asking them to come back and telling them you missed them, you know that's church discipline. Also, withdrawing fellowship is church discipline. It's just church discipline is a capital. It's it, it's it's the the pinnacle. It's the capital punishment. There there's three institutions: uh, government, house, government, family, and church. The capital punishment. That's the that's the 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 most. Uh, what's the highest punishment? The worst, the most egregious is not the right word. I'm losing the word. Anyway, with the government, it's it's execution. With the family, it's corporal punishment. It's a, it's a spanking. With the church, it's withdrawal of fellowship. The prodigal son was living a life in open rebellion. And he was outside of the fellowship. All three of these, the, the coin, the sheep, and the son was outside of the fellowship. But the son would be representative of someone in the church today who decides to be like, you know what? I've been given this wonderful inheritance called life. And I'm going to go out here and I'm going to waste it on riotous living. That's the prodigal son. That's the one that you have to, you know, withdraw from and all that good stuff. And thus, that's the point of the parables. Now, and that's how they relate to church discipline. I don't want to speak as much about that as I've done the other. Now, 46 minutes in, we're going to get to the point of the podcast. I shared this I shared this little video, a little six second video, and I shared it. I got the idea for the six second video from this article that I wrote called God's Desire for Humanity, Salvation Over Condemnation. And I stole the idea from the article from a from a from a post on Ted Knight's Facebook page. And I tell you what I'm gonna do. T E D I'm going to go to Ted Knight's Facebook page while we're live, and I'm going to see. He puts out a lot of posts. So I'm going to see if I can find. Right here it is. I'm going to read the post that gave me the idea for the article, that gave me the idea for the little video. Ted Hook Knight, three days ago, lean in and listen. God doesn't want you to go to hell. We spend a lot of time in misery because we seem to think that as hard as we are working to go to heaven, God is taking a note of every mistake that we make and is going to send us to hell. What a horrible misconception of God. Hell has not, was not made for you. Hell is for Satan, and God doesn't want you to go there. God wants you to go to heaven so much that he gave Jesus to die for us even while we were yet sinners. Romans 5, 8, lean in and listen. Again, God is in your corner. God is pulling for you to go to heaven. Talk to God and listen to God. Lean on God. God doesn't want you to go to hell. And so I made this little video 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna go find it on my deal. I want to make sure I get it just right with what I say. It doesn't matter. I will always love you, God. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Little six-second video, and it's been shared It's been shared uh, going on 20 times. It's got like 2,000 views, uh, and it's got, uh, over the platforms that I've released it, it's got years and years of views, okay? And years, sorry, somebody sent me a message, asked me something. It's got thousands and thousands of views. And I just asked the question, how great is the love of God? People are just, it's just resonating with people. People want to be loved. People want to be validated. People want to go where they belong. Up here in Riverview, um, I ain't going to lie to you. I have a hard time getting, getting people to sit down and study the Bible with me. But they'll come visit. And typically, the people that have come and visit, visited, that come and visit, they stay. The congregation is, quote, unquote, sticky. We've got some folks coming now that are not members, but they're here. They're learning. And we've, we've baptized three people in the last three or four months, and, and they... They were sticky. They came. They they didn't. They never sat down with a form for a former formal Bible study before they set foot in a church building. People people want a place to belong. People want want validated. People want to be validated. People want to be loved. The problem is when the church won't use church discipline. The church here has just split the fourth time since the 1980s because of a brother living with his girlfriend and no action was taken. So the minister left with half the members. It's hard when a congregation will not participate with church discipline. It's absolutely hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I probably the, the farther we go into this zeitgeist, this, this, this spirit of the age, the, the worse that'll get. But I'm hopeful it will get better. I mean, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Um, yeah. Folks, be the father in the parable of the prodigal son. Be curious, not judgmental. That was such a profound statement when I heard it. Be curious, not judgmental. I remember whenever I was in Northeast Arkansas, there was a hospital, the NEA Baptist Hospital. And I would go visit. I mean, we, the, the congregation where I preached, it was full of old people, and they was in and out of the hospital all the time. I don't know what else, how, to, how else to explain it. And um, I would pray with people, strangers, I'd be in the elevator with a stranger, and I would just say, how is your loved one? I never once had anybody not tell me. And I never had once, I never once had anyone that not, that didn't, like it, 
it was more than just all oh, they're fine or all oh, they're doing better. I mean, I got details, y'all. And after that, I would always say, well, listen, do you mind if I pray with you for your loved one? Only one time I, I was ever denied. The way God gathers followers to him He loves. He's curious. He wants to hear from us. He's the Father standing, gazing towards the horizon, scanning the horizon, wanting his lost children to come back. You may not ever get a Bible study with somebody. The waters of the baptistry may never be disturbed because of your steps down into them when it comes to baptizing somebody or converting somebody to Christianity. But it may be that there are faithful people that are going to be in heaven simply because you showed them love and kindness. Hereby, sorry, that's the wrong verse. Hereby do we know that we're not. Um, and by this shall all men know you are my disciples indeed, if you have love one for another. Folks, I'm, I'm talked out, I believe. I hope I've said something that's piqued your interest, that's wrinkled your brain about the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15 in, in total. But I hope that you've taken away from this podcast that people are looking to make connection. Be curious. Ask people about themselves, who they are, what they're doing, what they're going through. Invite them to church. Now, this is a funny statement coming from me because I have said in the past when it comes to evangelism, don't invite people to church. Church is for Christians, not for, well, that, that's true. And what I mean by that is if your only method for evangelism is inviting people to church, then you need to expand or broaden your horizons. Um, but it's a, Inviting someone to worship service, inviting someone to Wednesday night prayer meeting or Bible study, inviting someone to a devotional, that is a very low-impact way to show somebody that you're willing to make yourself vulnerable and connect with them. And I think you'll find the more you do that, the more the more the the world will resonate that back to you and you'll find that you'll start seeing more people in the in the pews yeah, so inter the, the, my scholarly nature comes out i don't think i don't think paul is mentioning visitors there um i think the two classes of people in in 1 corinthians 14 are people who um, are 
people who have gifts from the Holy Spirit and people who don't. And uh, but the King James used unlearned. Uh, that's a that's an interesting turn of phrase. Um, go to First Corinthians fourteen and my e sword, and I'll illustrate that for a minute. Now that does again. I'm not saying if, if well the 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 actual passage for what you're talking about, Neil, would be um, James chapter two. Have my my brethren have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if there comes a man into your assembly with goodly apparel or with dirty apparel, you'll give favor to the one with the goodly apparel. Um, that's, t- that's because of the lack of specificity, that would be speaking of a visitor. Um, all right, 1430. Hold on a second. Give me just a second. Evidently, I can't. All right, right here. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understand not what thou sayest? Let me go to get that word unlearned. I, I, I did a deep dive into that word unlearned. I found it to be very interesting. Um, the word is idiot. I ain't even making it up. It's idiotes. It's a private person that is, by implication, an ignoramus, an ignorant, rude, unlearned person. <laughs> a common soldier as opposed to a military officer. A writer of per- prose as opposed to a poet. A private person as opposed to a magistrate, ruler, or king. In the New Testament, an unlearned, illiterate man as opposed to the learned, educated one who is unskilled in any art. That fourth definition is the one. Um, yeah, it's, it's unlearned. I don't think it's unbelievers because it's not talking about a lack of, of, of relationship. It's talking about a lack of knowledge or status. And the, the knowledge or status would be um, in Corinth, you would have people who had the ability to do miracles and people who didn't. And um, but anyway, I mean, that's, it, I'm not saying it can't be unbelievers. I'm saying the text does not necessitate that it's unbelievers. And in fact, it leans more towards the fact that you have believers gathered to hear a message because again, Paul and Paul's making the point. I would rather that you prophesy because prophecy, prophesying builds up the church. Tongues, tongues are for unbelievers. So he's saying, you know, if you don't want to speak in tongues, you want to speak in prophecy in this in this assembly. Anyway. Um, It, it doesn't necessitate unbelievers, and in fact, just it, it, it leans more towards uh, the fact that it's just people who do not have um, people who do not have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, then there's this other verse. Where is it at? Thirty two, thirty four, thirty six, somewhere along in there. No, that's thirty two is not the one. 
right here, 37. I was all around it. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of God. Well, prophets specifically or a charismatic, a pneumatikos is. So a person who is pneumatikos has to acknowledge that what Paul is speaking are the commandments of the Lord. So there were two different classes of people, I think, here. They were, they were those who were pneumatikos and those who were not. And if you were not pneumatikos and somebody was speaking in tongues with no interpreter, the person who is who is not pneumatikos wouldn't be able to say amen. In other words, they wouldn't be able to put their stamp of approval on what is said. Sorry, my, my scholarly bone came out. Um, but let me go to James. So James would be a good a good end to the uh, a good end to the podcast here. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly, a ma- incidentally, that word assembly, that's that, the, that word is synagogue, <laughs> by the way, uh, a man with a gold ring or in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, stand thou here, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? In other words, you judges with evil thoughts. Um, folks, visitors are authorized. James chapter 2 authorizes them. We, we can't have a closed assembly. For one, just think about the optics of that. So I've, I've in the past, I've, I've said when I'm making the point about evangelism, like, look, whenever we go out to evangelize, why is our only means of evangelism, quote, unquote, inviting people to church? Sometimes it's hard enough to get Christians to come to church. Rather, go out, make connection, build a relationship, get a Bible study, convert them, and you'll have to run them out of church if you really convert them. However, for the podcast today, there are people out there who want love and connection. Go out there and build it. And the low-hanging fruit, ask them about themselves, get them talking about themselves, invite them to church, invite them to Wednesday night Bible class, invite them to the to the men's breakfast if they're a man, invite them to the ladies' breakfast if they're a lady. Uh you know, just think about different things. They're out there. These little videos that, that have resonated with people so much. I really think we're missing a golden opportunity if we don't double down on our efforts during this, this season in the world. And that's it. All I've got, folks. Listen, um, We've had the tip jar up for just about the whole show. I didn't mean to do that. I just got to talking and I forgot. Um, I'd love for you to be the algorithm for us on Christianity Now streams on YouTube. We're on the road to monetization. It won't be long. Uh, We do need 500 subscribers, though, but we've gotten 20 subscribers in the last 28 days. We would love for you to subscribe. Almost 70 of you, almost 70% of you are not subscribed. Whenever you're listening, just go subscribe and 
share the content to your Facebook page if you can, and that'll help. Um, remember, if you want to support us monetarily, there's ways to do that. We're so thankful for each and every one of you. Uh, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and uh, you can catch the archives there. Until next time, this has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations, and we will catch you on the flip side.